Welcome to the Service Design Podcast. My name is Lauren Somers. And my name is Jeroen de Peits. And we're here backstage at the Service Design Global Conference 2023 uh, from Berlin uh, for a very, very special episode with two amazing guests. Our first guest is a British-Iranian anthropologist and strategic design lead at Design It's Oslo Studio. She has over 15 years of cross-sectorial experience, ranging from scrubbing into clinical care and managing humanitarian programs in active war zones um, to guiding diverse clients through complex design processes and better futures. It's so nice to have you here with us today. Welcome, Dr. Pardis Shafafi. Thank you. Thanks very much. We have a second guest as well, and she also works for Design at Oslo. She is a UX lead and has been over two years diversity, equity and inclusion champion at Design at Oslo. She has over 10 years of experience across user research and UX design, collaborating with organizations in the private and public sectors, such as the UK government, Spotify and Cisco. Welcome, Julia Bazzoli. Hello, a pleasure to be here. It's so nice to uh, have you here with us backstage. We're for our listeners. We're in a pretty small room, but in a very very cool venue. Five minutes ago, you were on the stage as keynote speakers, uh, opening the uh, Service Design Global Conference. Um, how are you feeling right now? Um, yeah, good. Um, I think was um, a very well. It was a pleasure to to start uh, to be the opening keynote of uh, SDN. And fun fact: I actually joined my first SDN in 2012 as a volunteer. Oh. And so now it was like, okay, things have changed. Yeah. <laughs> now um, you're on the stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. It. <laughs> totally. Um, no, but I mean, it, it was uh, it was really fun to bring uh, the do no harm. Um, kind of lecture and, and framework on stage for, for service designers. We've done it in Interaction 23 in February. And it's always interesting to see how different disciplines relate to this, uh, to this framework. So it will be interesting as well to hear uh, like all the questions that are going to come through uh, to us. Yes, and I was, I was going to say, I, I don't feel it's completely <coughs> over yet because we have to go and look at the question. We've been told there are a few questions waiting for us. We have more questions too. Oh yeah, you've got my, yeah, <laughs> I really expected that. Um, so I, I think it's kind of ongoing. I feel like I'm still a little bit on stage, even though I'm not completely done. It's weird. It's yeah. almost like this mic in my face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> creates, <laughs> creates that dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> No, but yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, we can totally understand uh, that we really tackled you with this interview, right? <laughs> right after. No, not at all. It's it's such a pleasure. Thank you mm -hmm. so much for giving us the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. You gave a talk about do no harm, the do no harm framework. I think we're very curious. Uh, we saw we just saw the talk as well, but maybe for our listeners who, uh, who don't have the background or don't really know what the do no harm framework is about, can you quickly? introduce or give some backgrounds? Sure. Um, Do No Harm is really, for us, it's about instituting or establishing um, kind of intentional design practices to really think about how the process is uh, conceived, but also followed up through uh, risk assessing different actions against possible harm for different uh, parties involved. Um, for me and Julia, uh, as we said on stage, this started from a place of concern. Um, because we felt like um, maybe some of the 
thinking around innovation and creativity happens in a little bit of a kind of a creative vacuum uh, and that sometimes these concerns aren't taken uh, seriously. Obviously, as we also mentioned on stage, we know that there was a community of people then and it's, there's a community of people now, probably bigger, uh, who agreed and shared those concerns. Um, so so that's, that's basically what our talk was about, was showing how from that moment five years ago, we started from... We, we started thinking about how, how do we bring this kind of thinking into the design discipline and then moving through um, kind of university lectures, smaller groups and smaller design communities into a keynote on stage, mm -hmm. uh, taking that time to, to think about the fact that this is obviously a topic that's grown, it's evolved and it has a much bigger audience. And last but not least, of course, um, introducing the framework, which is a practical tool to navigate this space of ethics, which I think a lot of people in design and bigger creative industries are thinking about. It's, um, it's something that we put together because um, we wanted to have like a, a place of a, a starting point, like an introductory um, tool uh, for, of course, within design, first of all, but um, the plan is to open it up, making open source, at least parts of it to everyone, um, just to have like, um, yeah, a starting point uh, so that we can reflect uh, on similar and ha have a shared understanding of what harm means across different recipients of harm. And I think this is very important for us because um, I feel that as designers, we often focus very much on users and on the now, like the the, the verb is always present tense when, when we design. And instead by creating a framework where we talk about, okay, beyond users, there are communities that are impacted differently maybe by what we do. And how about kind of the level of environment that we want to consider when we design? but also wider context right because the different all the different systems that underpin society could be you know political societal technological economic everything is intertwined and as designers we need to engage like take a step back and kind of see the bigger picture to be able to uh, kind of understand what harm can um, kind of spin out of these different um, uh, kind of places. And so the framework yeah, is uh, very much something practical to that we can bring with clients, we can uh, use in, uh, in the team um, to have like, to create space, first of all, to have this type of conversations and um, um, yeah, to make something about it basically. Yeah, what I really loved about your uh, keynote talk is how you introduced the topic as well from your personal feeling that something in your situation needed to be done, needed to be addressed, uh, this concern that arised and it resonated as well. I think not just with, with, with me, but I think also with the audience, you, you don't have it in every project that there's a, a place of concern, but when it arises, you really feel like what should we do? We, we recently discussed this uh, in the office too with a specific project where we also um, had interviews with um, vulnerable uh, people. And we were thinking, yeah, can we do something after the interview? Is that patronizing? Is that actually helping them? Are we in a position to do something? Should we do something? Mm -hmm. All these concerns arose, so it really resonated as well. And I, and I really like this as well because it, it stems from the Hippocratic Oath. Uh, you you said it like really coming from this medical field as let's do good or at least no harm as as, as well. Um, how does that relate to your your day to day uh, uh, practices and and responsibilities as uh, as designers that uh, design it? Um, 
In, I mean, I, I think it varies depending on the context that we're working in. Some projects like the the Women's Centre that we that we spoke about, it's very clear right from the beginning, okay, this is going to be a big feature. It's going to be a driving feature of this project. And I think in other places, <clears throat> as, as comes with kind of a critical mindset, the questions arrive in the place that they're supposed to arrive in, i.e., you know, you enter a project and maybe it doesn't feel like this is an obvious candidate for Do No Harm, once you start going into the details, you, you sense after, okay, this, this area, actually, we don't know much about, okay, since we don't know much about it, should we look into this? Uh, or, you know, um, where it, even something as simple as we're, we're about to engage directly with people. And that's always unexpected in some sense. There's always some percentage of, you know, p people are complex and on your, on your best day or on your project interview day, that person could be having the worst day of their life. Like you have no idea. And eventually it becomes a bit of a reflex that you think, you know, regardless of the fact that maybe it seems I'm doing a completely asinine kind of um, thematic analysis of a situation that doesn't feel very vulnerable or doesn't feel very sensitive. Um, I'm still engaging with a human being for, you know, 25 minutes in a room. And actually that still leaves some space where I might tread or trigger something um, that might need attention. And do no harm is about encompassing the full complexity of that. It's a it's a continuum from things that are very obvious and uh, or we hope that they're quite obvious because of their uh, content or themes to other places where maybe usually you would think this doesn't require any extra attention, but you know you you actually end up. Um, looking at it with a different focal point. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the ecological uh, context, the political context, uh, ethical frameworks uh, as well, uh, legislation changing, and it's typically reserved for more the strategic part of a project or the business design part, let's say. Mm. How do you feel that, uh, that you take that in your current typical service design project? Um, yeah, service design or UX, I mean, we kind of done, it really depends on the challenge at hand. Um, but I think also, uh, yeah, we also talk about it in the in the presentation, how a little bit what uh, Pardis was mentioning before, how every time we interact with, uh, with people, um, we kind of have to have that mindset uh, in place that there is the potential uh, of harming someone through our actions. And so when I was running this project <clears throat> that was looking into, um, you know, the needs and in potential uh, possible insecurities of um, people buying a new property, a new home, when we uh, wrote our research guide, we really focused on all the positive examples of uh, doing that, of doing that, that big step. But actually when we were in context, we realized all the kind of more complex and negative ones. So like bereavement, divorce, financial issues, so yes, it is very much at strategic level, but it does translate very easily in, in more tactical work, even for like a, a big bank. And uh, I worked also with another big bank, <laughs> big, bans, big banks out there, reach out. No, I'm joking. Um, no, but I also worked <laughs> with another big bank. And for example, we were looking into how uh, to design a flow for uh, multiple authentications across different devices. Pretty nerdy, you know, pretty UX, uh, hardcore stuff. Um, and we, we did um, a workshop uh, of one hour with uh, the PM and the developers where we discussed, okay, when we design this, this flow, what's the worst case scenario that could happen and what could, and who could, uh, could be the kind of most impacted by it? 
And so it's, you know, it's, it's really finding ways how we can bring this really big framework and big ideas into something very tangible and, and useful and practical that we can bring with clients, we can bring in a team and we can feel more equipped and prepared at uh, designing something. Yeah, I, I was very th triggered by that. Like, uh, I think in the presentation you called it risk prompts, uh, where you were asking those kinds of questions, like what is the, the worst thing that could happen? And uh, I had to think about this this Medium article I, I, I read like seven years ago. It was like, it was called Black Mirror Brainstorms. And I think yes. it was like the kind of same philosophy. Um, and 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 yeah, I think it's super interesting to, to tackle a kind of solution or a new idea and see like, how can it go wrong? in order to make it, it better again. Um, but maybe zooming in on that, is, is that something that I, I can imagine you have to convince those, those clients, managers, people from big banks, let's say, like to convince them to participate in such a, a new way of thinking? Or is it just something that you say like, ah, oh, let's do it, just trust us, take us into this, this framework? Or uh, how do you see that uh, happening? Yeah, I would say um, we don't ask for permission most of the time. I mean, in, or in the, okay, it really depends on the case. Now I feel like I'm like the heroine, like, oh, I always do it. No, it, it really depends from case to case. But in this specific example, when you can translate it into a workshop and you are part of a team, I mean, as consultants, of course, um, sometimes we have shorter projects and sometimes longer projects. And when uh, longer projects are the case is you are are constantly working alongside the team of the clients. So you build a trust, uh, uh, trustworthy relationship with them. And so you just do the work as you would normally do it just with the client um, on the team. So in that case, it wasn't, you know, um, uh, something that we had to fight for or, uh, or even necessarily mention out loud because anyway, we were doing that workshop no matter what, nevertheless. And so we, we just added that extra question and you could really see um, developers also uh, tuning in with this type of uh, perspective and kind of um, themselves coming up with some scenarios that we, we didn't think about because that's the beauty, right? Like we have an understanding of, the, of whatever we're working on and every other kind of role will bring their own. And that's when it's a lot easier to uh, kind of predict risks and be able to like think about all the different scenarios and come up with measures. Yeah, your uh, your framework really seems to help um, facilitate the discussion and open the discussion rather than having to come up with all the insights yourselves again. I mean, it's typically our role as designers, but it seems to really help you do that. And it's it's that's fantastic. Yeah, I, we, we saw it, we thought about it exactly in that way that for some people it's easier just because maybe you are... I don't know, have a um, more use or more um, in tune uh, criticality or like you are able at looking at a situation and think it from a different perspective. But uh, for some other people, maybe it's a little bit more difficult. So we wanted to give like, I, I really see it as, you know, those training wheels that you put um, um, on the bike while you're starting to write. And then after a bit, you don't need them. Like the framework 
like we, we want to make the framework so that you forget about the framework. It, the framework is not the point. Like yeah. we are tool agnostic. Mm -hmm. The point is to remember, like to have more like a do no harm mindset so that whatever situation you're in, you're like, ah, wait, okay, maybe we should consider this aspect. And how about the environment in this, in this other? So that's how we, we envision it. Um, maybe maybe building on on that as well. Um, I think in 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 both of your roles as as leads, uh, UX lead, but also strategic design leads, I think there's there's also a lot of um, yeah uh, need for conveying uh, this philosophy. Maybe yeah, the philosophy behind the framework towards the teams and also your your colleagues as well. Can you share some insights about it? Like how can you really establish it in in your own organization? Sure. I mean, I think both what we said on stage, but also um, what Julia just mentioned now work towards that somewhat is that it doesn't take much convincing at a peer to peer level. Designers have, at least in the last five years that I've worked with designers, almost every single person has actively asked for it. Um, and I think there's always been this feeling that oh, we're missing some parts of our, you know, in our design education, there's something missing here. And that's, kind of like, I feel the concern, but I don't know where to go or what to do with it or how to apply it in my practice. And so in that sense, we're incredibly privileged because we haven't needed to make the case so hard within the design milieu. Um, obviously with some clients also who are a little bit more familiar with it, either because they're used to working with sensitive context or people, or maybe it's just kind of public sector and clinical clients, you know, they know this and they feel empowered by the fact that they're hiring people who also know this. Uh, and I think now we're at a stage and I'm speaking really from somebody who's come into design from outside. Um, but design, at, at least service design in our context has moved from this kind of savior innovation. Oh, you know, you come in with your post-its and you fix everything and that's so fun and it's beautiful. And so, you know, it's, it's this glittering solution parade. Uh, now people are asking serious questions of designers of all different sub-disciplines, um, including people more based in tech, uh, on, on the tech side. And we've had these big discussions now about AI and about other kind of emerging technologies. So that also translates to a much, I'd say may maybe not smoother, but a much more straightforward and less surprising conversation with different clients, because they also exist in this context. They exist in a context where they've had some back and forth with design in some sense. And they also have their own concerns actually about bigger advancements and changes and shifts in the kind of global context. So we taking this discussion to them is in, in a nutshell, it feels like we're in the right place at the right time because everybody's kind of discussing it somehow. How do you feel about embracing this complexity? You, you mentioned in your talk as well, you talked about moving away from sim simplifying to embracing complexity and, and actually being open to this more difficult uh, challenge as well. How do you feel that changed in your, uh, in your role and your work recently? Mm, yeah. I don't know if, uh, yeah, recently has changed or it's more like that, um, realization, but, um, I think, yeah, throughout my both design education and first years in the design world, yeah, simplicity was very much uh, championed as, you know, the, the service or the experience needs to be simple. And it's so attractive. You're like, yes, it needs to be like... We love the happy flow, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, happy Good flow, yay! happy <laughs> flow, no bad things will ever happen. Yeah. 
Um, but, you know, you look around and um, all these challenges that we are facing as society touch on so many different aspects, touch the individual, touch the community, touch the environment, touch the kind of all the, all the wider context. And so we need to understand how, you know, almost apply it across all these different uh, points to understand how everything is is connected, and um, I think that requires also yeah looking at the world with uh, with interest across different aspects and beyond the design world, and much more tuning in with okay, what's happening from a political perspective, what's happening from a uh, environmental perspective, like really being tuned in in the world. But I think as part of being designers is being curious and open and like always eager to learn. Um, so it, I don't see it as a, as a weight on me that I have to engage with complexity, but more like I'm excited is a big word, but <laughs> <laughs> like looking forward <laughs> in really bringing that complexity in, uh, in what we do. I just want to add that you're also asking the wrong people about how they feel about <laughs> complexity. We've always loved Yeah, you complexity. seem to love it, really. This is not <laughs> when we're like, oh no, complex things. Like both of us, act, I mean, if you see the, the, bio, the biographies that you so kindly read out, I think we've been, we've worked in contexts where, you know, that we actively engaged with it um, previously to working where we worked <laughs> together. True. And and that's also where the framework kind of came mm. from is this idea of like, we we know that we there are things that we can do to make our practice better. And so mm. we brought the complexity with us. Really. That's uh, the short story. Yeah. I maybe wanted to, wanted to, to zoom in on, uh, on something a little bit more specific, but it was one of the, the questions I, I really wanted to ask you. Um, and... Um, I think it starts with with your background as an, an anthropologist, uh, and really, uh, as you uh, said it before, like you maybe came into design, brought the complexity with you as well, and 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 hopefully maybe have this open view of really and trying to understand a lot of that is going on and not really simplifying or generalizing in, in that way. Uh, but one thing that that I experience as a designer as well is um, there is this line between observation and really just seeing what is going on and also already participating by doing the research and having an influence and inviting people. Uh, and and I, I was really wondering, like, how do you see that or, or approach that divide uh, in, in, your, in your work? I mean, if, if I've understood uh, correctly, uh, in terms of being an anthropologist in design, I, I'm often involved in design research, mm -hmm. um, but more commonly as a kind of stakeholder, strategic manager of a different project of, mm -hmm. of different kinds of projects. Usually those projects are more complex and it's more about kind of being the communicator. Basically I'm, I'm very often communicating design to outsiders mm -hmm. and I'm communicating the outside to designers. So yeah. I've become that kind of middle layer. And it's, it's, I mean, for me, it's worked great. And I, and I love it because it's not a one way flow. I don't, that complexity coming into, in, coming into some design. I said, there are a lot of designers who love complexity. I don't want to claim complexity <laughs> on behalf of everybody. Um, but the flow works both ways because I also take a lot of design principles and apply it back into my academic practices. Yeah. So I'm still a kind of, I'm, I'm still a public academic. I yeah. still work with the EU, uh, horizon project. And, um, th that capacity has always been active. And it's been fantastic because I've come into design and actually taken a lot of that, this kind of maybe not simplicity, but definitely the principles that champion effective communication and engagements mm -hmm. and put it back into my academic work, which is quite dense. Uh, I work on political violence. I, I work on really 
kind of uh, yeah, big, big uh, not always very happy topics. So personally, if, you, if you're asking me about my experiences in design, I'd say it's very happy because that two-way flow mm-hmm. um, has benefited my practices more mm-hmm. as a kind of academic. And I, I hope sitting here with you today that it's mm-hmm. also benefited design mm-hmm. in, in the kind of ideas that I can bring in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, of course, and I think that that's such an interesting viewpoint or sp- perspective as well. And maybe if we if we go uh, a little bit more more deeper into, for example, projects, UX or service design projects, um, you were talking about um, uh, the, the the project you've done for the uh, uh, cl- yeah the, the clinical practice for undocumented people. So that's that's a very very specific topic. You already said during your talk, like being there and and. Yeah, giving them information or trying to get information from them is also, yeah, maybe doing some harm or opening up perspective or, or um, uh, resulting in different expectations from the people as well. So you really come into contact with the, the people you are studying as well. And how how has your experience there been as a designer working in that in that uh, uh, context, trying to do no harm? Um, how, how, how has that been? Yeah, um, yes, it's been, um, um, yeah, what you were touching upon now, like having to understand, okay, the fact that we're coming into contact with a specific target group that is in a vulnerable situation has implications. And so we need to be um, careful in understanding how we're going to engage with them. And so um, it's, and it was, you know, as a designer and we it was i think our first project together and we started uh, talking about how the research process was um, supposed to come uh, together and you know we could access the clinic very easily and access all these undocumented women they were there in you know waiting in the waiting hall but we were like we can't do it like that mm. it because it's going to put them in such under such attention and pressure and you know all those things that they don't want and so we had to reconfigure the entire uh, research project uh, process sorry to um access information in a way that wouldn't put in danger um uh, this uh, the target uh, the target audience um, but in general, I think that that was a very specific case of not engaging with users and making that decision. But even when we do, um, um, uh, well, we have to, we always have some, there is always a power dynamic at play because we are introducing ourselves as designers to participants. And, you know, there is that kind of willingness from the participants of doing a good job of like responding to your questions because, you know, sometimes there is a compensation or like that's the dynamic that it was uh, kind of um, um, uh, created mm-hmm. that we've agreed it's, it's like a social contract mm-hmm. almost. And so because there is this power dynamic at play, we need to be aware of uh, how we behave, how we set up the space, how we kind of ask for consent. Uh, because every little action, every little word uh, we do or say have an impact. And so we have to be uh, aware of that. Yeah, what I liked is that you uh, you talked about the macro level and the micro level. So the, the principles like yeah, we have to reconfigure the, the research part of the project, the research process. Like on principle, you chose to tackle it differently. And then on the micro, micro level, um, tweaking the interview, telling them 
if you're if you need to take a step back if you need to quit it's fine it doesn't impact for example the um, the compensation uh, those are the tiny tweaks that can make you really yeah considerate as well and and are active measures that you're taking and i, I just wanted to add also in terms of that principle uh, of not speaking to to the direct users that's a di- that's a result of us weighing mm-hmm. the potential benefit for these people against you know the, the cost yeah. which and the cost could even if they don't get deported as a result of talking to us it might make them less likely to go back to that clinic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you're really kind of it, it's a massive cost for them personally even if they're not getting deported and had we have been at a different stage of the project where we had a clearer idea of the kind of specific benefit we could create for that user we might have done it differently but at the exploration stage where we're really kind of we're in the unknown unknown space we really have to think you know who who would it benefit us talking to these direct users who's who's getting the real benefits and when and who's really paying the price in terms of the risk and it's that weighing process which leads us to say okay at a macro level this is not a good idea right now. And I, and I just want to say that because if anybody's listening mm. and thinking mm. we should never talk to users ever, you know, like it's, it's that, that it's not a blanket rule. It's a rule which mm. we applied to the stage of the project that we were at mm. in this particular context. And also because of the wealth of information that mm. already existed on this topic. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's super interesting because it's kind of a, a paradox um, uh, in itself a little bit because I can imagine that uh, speaking for myself as a designer you want to do good you want to really have an impact with your research but it's it's quite weird because you have to also um, uh, admit to yourself like ah maybe we shouldn't interact or we should take a step back and do it differently mm-hmm. different than we saw it in the first place to yeah the intent can be good but maybe the result can be uh, have some harm or some risk that you didn't really account for so that that's something that I, I also take away from your your talk that the intent is important, but what also is important is just really thinking about the results <laughs> and seeing like, are we maybe with some good intents, are we not doing maybe some harm as well? That's, it's, it's the central tenet of do no harm, actually. It's really like focus on the impact. And it's not specific to do no harm. I think with a lot of um, what's called a, appreciative dialogue, I think trauma-informed uh, design and care, mm-hmm. a lot of these things have the same focus and it's about you know it, it doesn't really matter if you intended to do a good thing it's really the impact of what you did uh yeah that's that's gonna rain what i find interesting is that we um it does arose from a really uh, sensitive situation uh, quite complex as well but i i also i find it relatable to uh, more regular projects we do and it it doesn't seem that big of a step to to consider uh for example when we're working on um uh, digital product projects with uh, for for public services typically have this EID uh, login. It's a bit complex. It's it's a bit of a hassle, and we always consider then. Well, in our in our uh, research, we consider: Do users actually have access to this? Do they actually have a smartphone? Mm-hmm. Should we invite them over? Should we do the interview remote? Should we do it in person so they can actually get a device from us, for example? So. I, th- I think it's something a lot of people already do in their agencies in their place of work, but then expanding that to to the yeah to other situations is quite it's quite interesting. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Like the point I think of the of what we when we talk about do no harm is also to show that some of these practices and precautions are already happening in the field. And uh, I mean, as we were discussing before, also we haven't invented them. They come from trauma informed design and a lot design justice, a lot of other um, incredible sub discipline um, that already exists out there. Um, but it's more like we want to also show a bit the rationale behind it. Um, like the background so that because when you understand the rationale is not it's not just uh, a measure that you take but it's like okay i'm doing this because of that so if i want to arrive to like to to make sure that the interview is like a really safe space how can i enhance that and so it's to have to be more intentional in what we do to have a better impact and just, just to add also i mean there's been a massive focus on empathy in in design um, i hear it very often and people say well you know we're empathetic we're empathetic we often employ these kind of principles and i think it's true and exactly as as julia said i think we the measures are pretty much the same it's just who who are you thinking about and in what context do you apply these things right so am i is empathy the key route because i want my user to feel good with me and i want them to feel safe with me and can i apply something to make sure that it goes beyond this space that we sit in right now can i can i kind of future proof this interaction to some extent so that you know in 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 10 years this person isn't in bed feeling anxious about something they told me which maybe they didn't plan on telling me that i'm also not doing anything with you know mm. so that information i didn't need it could i have prevented that um and i think most people would say yeah I, if i could make someone less anxious i would but I also I was reflecting how I think that design has uh, kind of throughout the years, you know, taken some bits and pieces from psychology and anthropology and um, and kind of like, but only bits and pieces without really understanding kind of the implications. And I think now we're a bit more, uh, not now, but like since few years, we are much more um, understanding that what we do and how we show up into a space has a huge impact. And so we're also understanding uh, kind of what guidelines we want to have and be more uh, bring actively with us. I think it's an, a nice uh, note to, to have. Yeah, it's a nice invitation to take that extra step forward beyond just the direct uh, context of the project and also looking beyond the project and, and yeah, doing no harm. Is there something that you're looking forward to in relation to uh, to the framework or to the talk or to the global service design conference? In general. In general, anything. Um, yeah, I mean, with regards to doing no harm, I'm looking forward to this, hopefully this thinking catching fire. I, I feel like it's already on fire, but really like catching fire and kind of going further and further to the point where we don't really know where it lands anymore because, and I'm, I already feel that momentum and it's really, really powerful. Uh, something actually me and Julia spoke about um, before with this talk was a little bit our kind of grander hopes for this. And my personal, very optimistic hope for this is that unlike sustainability, which for me, sustainability came through consumers and pushed decision makers and, and company, big companies into doing something. But then they were able to somehow uh, take that and turn it around and greenwash very often what they do. Um, do no harm is coming through the practitioners. It's coming through designers into the organizations, which makes it much harder for those companies to respond to critical questions, um, with half truths or lies. And for me, that has a huge potential because if we arm enough designers with this critical thinking, 
mindset or at least encourage that mindset, it means that we have a real chance to question and spotlight our companies, uh, our organization's actions and hopefully make some meaningful change. I really like that. <laughs> um, where, can fe where can people find uh, uh, the framework? Great question. <laughs> so um, the framework is not out there yet um, because we um, are in a kind of like a moment of testing it. Uh, since it <laughs> can be a bit complex in certain parts. So we just really want to make sure that people can understand it. Uh, but the, the plan is to make it open source, uh, at least some parts of it, because I think um, we can really build on other people's knowledge, other people's experience to kind of enrich it and take it further. Um, it will be interesting also to see how the framework will kind of evolve throughout the years, to, uh, depending on how harm, uh, the concept of harm evolves in society. So that's very much like we want to push it out there. Um, but um, yeah. Um, it's coming soon. It's coming soon, <laughs> yes. Google it, search for it if everywhere you can. Do no, <laughs> do no harm uh, framework. Thank you so much for being here, both of you, after Thank your you. talk. Thanks for having us. It was so much fun. <laughs>